If you have a Bible, you can open it up to Romans chapter 10. We've just been preaching through the book of Romans for a while now, for the better part of this year. We've had some other series that we started the year out, and then we took a break during uh, when school went back to talk about parenting for a little bit. And now we're back into Romans, and we're in chapter 10. We're going to close out chapter 10 today and get into chapter 11, the first 10 verses. And so if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and and turn there. We're going to be at verse 18 of chapter 10 and get into verse 10 of chapter 11. But if you don't have a Bible, we've got the verses on the screen as always. And if you don't even own a Bible, we would love to give you one for free. That'd be our gift to you. But we're just teaching through this. And and this part that we're in right now, chapters 9, 10, and 11, is almost like a subset, if you will, within the book, because Paul is, or in the letter, Paul is dealing with a specific subject about the nation of Israel and their unbelief. Because he said for eight chapters that we've all sinned, we've all fallen short. And now that he's talking about all of us, he goes back to specifically talking about Israel. What about them? He made all these, God made all these promises to them. So how do, how do they rank up now in light of all of this? What does this mean? So he's been unpacking this for us. And, and these are some chapters we've just said from the outset that they're hard to understand. And we want to acknowledge that, um, but it doesn't mean we want to shy away from it at all. Because honestly, most people want to. They just want to jump from chapter 8 right into chapter 12 and just act like 9, 10, 11 doesn't exist because it's hard and it's hard to understand. But we don't take that philosophy here because we believe that a strong church is built upon just the preaching of the word of God. And so we don't want to hold back from it at all and, and really challenge maybe even our preconceived notions of what we thought or what we were told and let the Bible just speak for itself. And so that's what we've been doing, and now we're in the, the better part of you know, chapter 10 into chapter 11, and we're still going to deal with some difficult truths. In fact, chapter 11 is not going to be necessarily any easier, but I believe that if we can really understand and really let it hit us, as always, it can have a transforming effect. And even the ones that we just don't naturally understand from our own human reasoning. And so by God's grace, hopefully I'll do a good job of communicating that to you and we can all understand it better. So let's jump in by uh, chapter 10, verse 18, and we'll kind of hit these last couple verses of chapter 10, and then we'll talk about it. Paul says this, but I ask, have they not heard? Indeed, they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I asked, did Israel not understand? For, most, for first, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With the foolish nation, I will make you angry. Verse 20, then Isaiah is so bold to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. So again, contextually, he's talking about Israel here, but he opens this up with the question, which obviously harkens back to last week's message, if you weren't here, where Paul was talking about people can't believe if they don't hear. And so that's why we have to preach, and you can't preach unless you're sent. And so he goes through this whole long list of our responsibility as a church to make sure that the gospel is going out, because people can't believe unless they hear. So naturally, he's applying that to Israel and asking the question of saying, okay, well, maybe the reason why Israel doesn't believe is because they haven't heard. Is that why Israel doesn't have faith? Because they haven't heard. And then he answers his question immediately. He says, no, they've heard. They heard it because the word went out. And it went out to the Jewish people at that time. I mean, Jesus himself was Jewish. And so then he leads it to the next question was, okay, if they heard, then maybe they didn't understand. 
Now, anybody who's been a parent or is a parent, I shouldn't say it in past tense, anybody who is a parent understands the difference between hearing and listening. You know what I'm talking about? Because you can hear something. Hearing is the act of you know, the, the sounds coming into your ear and your brain interpreting those, right? Like you're actually hearing those. That happens without us even trying, unless you have some kind of hearing problem. We all hear something, but there's a difference, again, you parents know this, between hearing and listening. Listening means I'm paying attention to what I'm hearing and I'm interpreting that information correctly. I'm assimilating it into my life. Now, I've said this often. I grew up with hearing problems, and that's just the irony of God. I had my first surgery when I was three years old to try to fix that because I couldn't hear correctly. My parents thought I wasn't so smart, which is still true, and and so I couldn't speak correctly because I couldn't hear correctly, so I had to have multiple surgeries so that I could hear correctly. So I do have documented a hearing problem. I remember back in the day, and those of you that maybe you remember this in elementary school, remember we used to do those hearing tests where they would put the things on you and you have to raise your hand? When it's like, you know, that, that game we play at the skating ring, what's that one? Like, yeah, hokey pokey, that game, right? Like you're having to do the hand. I had those memorized because I literally couldn't hear certain frequencies. And so it's documented. And it just so happens now that my wife's voice falls within that frequency range. And so there's a lot of times I just can't hear and she doesn't believe me. And, and, and yeah, sometimes it's, I, I literally can't hear. And, and I used to drive my brother and sister crazy growing up because all the time somebody would say something, I would say, huh? And my brother would be like, I know you heard me. I did, but I'm asking to repeat it again to make sure I heard it correctly. I'm listening. Now, my 15-year-old son has picked up on this because he's you know, my son and he has some hearing problems. And I think he's just adopted my same tactics, which he sold me out, by the way, unknowingly. Because we'll say something to him, he'll be like, oh, I didn't hear you. Sucker, I know you heard me. And that's what Paul's getting at here, right? He's saying, did they not hear? No, they heard it. Well, they didn't understand. They didn't assimilate it. And contrary to popular opinion, we cannot multitask because the brain is not meant to focus on more than one thing at once. And so now in our screen culture, our technological culture, right? If you want to have an honest conversation, you really need to put the phone down because people be hearing, right? But they're not listening. In college, in my undergrad, I, I took communication as my major. Literally, I took an entire class on listening. And you get to the end of it, you're like, what was the point of the class? Listen, like that's literally what it was. But we talked about how to listen and active listening and engaging and and responding back and how communication is two-way. And so Paul is saying here, okay, the problem is not for unbelieving Israel that they didn't hear. The problem is not that they weren't listening. The problem is they're disobedient and contrary. They have a heart problem, not a hearing problem. And then he goes so far as to say, he literally says, Isaiah is so bold to say that God is going to have mercy on another nation to make them jealous. Again, one of the primary pictures that God describes himself is as a father. So think about this like a parent. Again, those of you that are parents, when you have kids, 
you got more than one kid and one is just craving all the attention, but they're not doing what you say. One of the parenting tricks is you just start ignoring them and start lavishing attention on the other one. Because one of the best ways to get underneath their skin is when they want attention, you don't give it to them. And I've got two kids and this happens before when one just wants attention, I'll just start lavishing attention on the other one to make that one jealous. Because if you would listen to me, then you would understand what I want. That's exactly what God's doing here. That's what Paul's saying. He's saying, listen, I have been holding out my hands to this disobedient people forever. And they're not hearing me. They're not listening to me. They're not paying attention to me. They're not assimilating this in because they've got a heart problem. And so you know what? I'm gonna have mercy on these other people hoping that that will get their attention too. God is simply just a loving father. And yet, so often, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, when we talk about God having judgment or God judging people, he has the right to do so. He has the right to have judgment on somebody. He has the right to have mercy on somebody. If God wants to have mercy on another group of people to get the attention of this group of people, he has the right to do that because he's God. He's a father. And all he's trying to say here is, listen, this is so important. The sovereignty of God does not cancel out human responsibility. Israel is responsible for their unbelief because they can't say they didn't hear. They can't say that they hadn't been told and they were listening. And Paul does a masterful job of going all the way back to Moses, quoting Moses, one of the iconic figures in the Old Testament, wrote the first five books of the Bible. And then he quotes Isaiah, one of the most famous prophets in the history of Israel. So he's showing them all the way through. Listen, God didn't just come up with this willy-nilly. He went all the way back to Moses when he told you this was gonna happen. And then in Isaiah, he told you that this was gonna happen. And you're still not listening. Why? Because you're disobedient. And contrary, you got a heart problem. Now, here's what's so interesting. That word there, disobedient, in the Greek... It is literally, I'm going to tell you the word in Greek and see if you recognize it. The word disobedient is literally the Greek word apatheo. What English word do you think we got from that Greek word? Apathy. Apathy. That's literally the word here. Apatheo. And what is apathy? I was reading a tweet of a rather famous comedian that was talking about the difference between ignorance and apathy. And she said, what's the difference between ignorance and apathy? And her answer was, I don't know and I don't care. <laughs> Some of y'all get that later. And if you didn't get it, just act like you did and ask the person who laughed later. What did he mean by that? Ignorance, I don't know. Apathy, I don't care. Apathy means I just don't care. And here, this is where, again, we have got to really dig in here because you say, Jason, okay, again, you have this knack of answering questions that nobody's asking. What in the world does this matter for us today? You want to know why this matters? Because Israel grew up with the oracles of God, grew up with God acting miraculously on their behalf, and they became apathetic. So that can happen to us too. 
In fact, I would go so far as to say that some of the most apathetic people on the planet are people who grew up in church because they've heard it. If you start talking about the gospel, Jesus died for my sins, I know that, right? You start talking about the commands of God, well, I know that. Okay, you know it, but you ain't doing it. What's the problem there? The problem is, this is so important. We've been inoculated to Jesus because we got just a little bit of him to make ourselves immune to him. That's what happened with Israel. They had heard about it. So they just took him for granted. And don't miss this. Apathy, we translate into English as disobedient. So apathy is not just, I don't care, but apathy in a biblical sense is, I don't care enough to obey. Oh, I know God said that. I don't care. And that happens with people primarily who grow up in church and they miss, and we'll get into in a second, grace. They just miss it because they think that following Jesus was all about a set of rules. And so therefore, they just become apathetic about it. I don't care. And this is one of the reasons why I talk to you often about the fear of God. Because in 21st century America, 21st century mindset in the world today, we don't like talking about the fear of God. We don't like talking about the judgment of God. Everybody loves the hippie loving, holding sheep, having children, Jesus. Everybody loves that Jesus. Like I love long flowing hair. You got the little baby sheep. You got let the children come to me. I love that Jesus. But nobody likes the Jesus that goes up into the temple with a whip and turns some tables over and says, this is my house. That ain't your house. But it's the same Jesus. And, and this is why, I talk, again, I talk to you about the fear of God because I want you to understand something. Yes, God is love. You would not understand love without God because he is in his essence love, but he is also God. And he has the right to command us because he's God. And I don't know about you, but again, and I say this often, but I was so blessed to grow up with the dad that I was fearful of in a good way. Not that he was going to abuse me, but he was just strong and big. And so when he said something, guess what? It didn't matter how I felt about it. If he said it, that settled it. I didn't do it. And I wasn't trying to be sneaky and hiding because he could catch me. He used to tell me all the time, don't skip school. I ain't skipping school. You want to know why? Because my dad worked on the air conditioners in my school. So he would know if I wasn't there. I ain't skipping because you'll find out. And, and there's this sense, again, then Jesus says this in Luke chapter 12. He says, don't fear those who can kill the body, but fear him who after the body is killed has the power to throw your soul in hell. And so there's so many people today who just grew up around it that have lost this sense that God has the right to command me. And I don't want to be apathetic and therefore disobedient towards him. But there's another mentality. Not just apathy, the word disobedience there, the word contrary, he says. Now that Greek word didn't come over into an English word like apathy did, but I'm going to tell it to you. And I'm going to say it in a redneck way because that's what I am. The word there contrary is literally the Greek word anti-lego. 
Now, God's not anti the Legos that we play with, right? But the Greek word Lego means to speak. And you know what the word anti means. Anti means you're against. So contrary means to speak against. So another problem that Paul's identifying with Israel is not only are they apathetic, but they're arrogant. They now speak against God. And this is what I want you to see. The danger for all of us the two pitfalls on either side is one, we've heard it and we're just apathetic about it. We don't care. Or two, we speak against it and we become arrogant, which means we become proud in our own minds. Israel was guilty of both of those. So people in the church can be guilty of both of those too. You can be arrogant against it. And this is what happens with most people when they walk away from God. Because God doesn't have the right to command them. And so therefore they walk away from God and they start to speak out against that. And that's coming from a sense of, you know what? I don't need God. I've done this myself. I've done pretty fine by myself. I don't need God. That's just for the weak people. It's just a crutch for those who you know, need the help. And, and so I'm just gonna help myself. And there's this idea or this spirit within that's not only apathetic, but can be arrogance. And if you put apathy and arrogance together, oh, you've got a Molotov cocktail then. Someone who's arrogantly speaking against God and just has apathy in their own heart towards God. Paul's saying that was the problem with Israel. And how that applies to us today is, man, that can be our problem too. We can have this apathy towards God and this commands, I don't want to do that. And the lo listen to me, the longer we have apathy, the more arrogant and speaking against we become. That's just what happens. That's where it leads to. Apathy leads to arrogance. Because you start believing that you have the right to command yourself. And so we got a heart problem. And that's what Paul's identifying here. It's not that they didn't hear. It's not that they didn't understand. God was holding out his hand to them. I don't want you to miss this again. And we dealt with this a few weeks ago and I just mentioned it. When God has the right to judge people, we always think, man, that's not fair. And we, we speak against the heart of God like he should have done something that he hasn't done. Listen, I want you to understand something. Israel not believing is not because God hasn't held out his hands to them. He says, I'm holding out my hands forever. And he's still doing that today to an apathetic, arrogant people. So the heart of God is not he enjoys having judgment on people. His heart is the heart of a father, just like your hearts towards your kids would be when they are being apathetic or arrogant to the things of God as you're holding out your hands to them. That's why Jesus talked in Luke 15 about the father and the prodigal son. The whole story is not so much about the son as it is about the father. Because he had two sons, and we forget that story. We had one who went, and he was just, you know, apathetic to the things of God. He, he just went and was like, I don't care. And then you had the religious older brother who was arrogant. And here's the crazy part of the story. And we miss this so often because we just focused on the one. We missed the other son. God went out to both of them. He went out to the apathetic one and he went out to the arrogant one. 
That's God's heart towards people. And so Paul asked the question, then why don't they believe? Look at chapter 11, verse 1. I ask, then has God rejected his people? By no means, he says. For I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. So he asked the question, and this is what he's been asking in chapter 9 and chapter 10. Has God rejected them? No. Why? Not all Israel is Israel. Chapter 9, we talked about that. Not everybody who is ethnically descended of Abraham is in the spiritual family of Israel. We talked about this here. Well, it applies to us, the visible church, the invisible church. Not everybody that's a part of it visibly is really a part of it invisibly. Because again, going to church doesn't make you a Christian. Just like sticking your head in the oven doesn't make you a biscuit. It just doesn't work that way, right? It's not an outside-in thing. And so Paul is saying, has he rejected them wholeheartedly? No. And what's exhibit A? Exhibit A, Paul says, Look at me. I am ethnically an Israelite. I'm Jewish. I'm the tribe of the tribe of Benjamin, one of the 12 sons of Israel. So exhibit A to how God hasn't rejected people, primarily the Israel, the Israelite people, Paul says, look at me. And, and just a side note here, it's kind of a sermon within a sermon. I got another one coming in a minute. I always have these little sermons in the sermons. But here's what I want to point out to you. Whenever someone asks about God's grace and saving people, exhibit A should be us. Exhibit A in the sharing of our faith should be what God's done in us. Listen, if, if you can rattle off a, a list of steps but not have any personal transformation, you're missing it. And so I love that Paul, the first thing he does is, listen, you want to know if God's rejected his people, the stiff-necked, arrogant, rebellious, disobedient people? Look at me. I was one. And this is why it's so important to highlight the grace of God. Listen, those of us who grew up in church, there is nobody who has always been a Christian. Please, for the love of Jesus, don't ever say that again. You haven't always been Christian. Listen, I don't care if your mama gave birth to you on a pew. You weren't born Christian. You can be born religious. Paul was born religious, but he wasn't born a believer. He was sincere in his faith and he was sincerely wrong. And so here's what you got to understand. And again, this is the hardest for religious people to understand because we don't understand what God saved us from. Because most people are like, what did God save you from? And again, we can see it in the Gentiles, the people who didn't know God or didn't grow up in church. But for church people, it's like, oh, God saved me from my perfect Sunday school record. <laughs> yeah. And you needed saving from that because your perfect Sunday school record wouldn't get you in. That's what Paul's getting at here. He was zealous for the things of God. He was zealous and he was sincere, but he was sincerely wrong. And so exhibit A is himself. And here's how you share your faith. It's pretty simple. Here's me before Jesus. 
Here's how I met Jesus, and here's me after Jesus. And, and there should be a difference. It doesn't mean we don't struggle with sin now, but we need to show people, listen, this is what I was like before. So Paul's exhibit A, has God rejected ethnic Israel? No, because he saved me. And so that should be true of anybody. Like you might be the only person in your family that has saved. And people say, well, we can just write that family off. No, look at you. And Paul was the worst. He called himself the chief of sinners in another place. So we should not write off anybody from being saved. Again, this is why I love the doctrines of the sovereignty of God. People are like, I don't like that. I love it. Why? Because God can overcome the hardest heart towards him. And when people don't know Jesus, you know what I pray for? And this sounds weird to you. And I say this in pastoral care to people sometimes. and They look at me like I'm weird. Here's what I pray for when people are walking away from God. I say, God, make them miserable. Huh? Yeah, make them miserable. Make them see their foolishness. Help them to understand their arrogance. Don't let it go right for them. Let it all go wrong. And Paul, I think, on purpose is saying here, listen, if God can get to me, he can get to them. He can overcome their resistance to him. Then he gives a second exhibit. Look at his second one. He says, God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah? So don't miss this. He grounds this in his personal experience, but he also grounds this in scripture. That's so important. Personal experience can never trump scripture. So he grounds it. This is what he did in me. And this is just what he does. So let me show you that. He says, do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah? How he appeals to God against Israel. Lord, they have killed your prophets. They have demolished your altars. And I alone am left. And they seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So now he's going back to history and he's showing what God did then, he can do now. What did God do then? You may not know the story of Elijah, 1 Kings chapter 17 through 19, go read it later, but I'm gonna do a quick recap for you. Elijah was a prophet. Ahab had become king, and he had done evil, more evil than all the ones before him. And so there's a showdown. He tears down all the altars of God. Elijah has a problem with it, rightly so. He's zealous for the things of God, and he speaks out against it to the point to where, and I'm laughing, not because it's funny, but because like, I just love it when God throws a showdown. He's like, all right, y'all going to worship the, the gods of the, your neighbors, you're going to worship Baal, then I'm going to raise up Elijah and he's going to show you who the real God is. And you can go read this in chapter 18. So they have a contest and they get all this, this wood to make an altar and all the prophets of Baal come and Elijah starts taunting them. I kid you not. Different translations say different things. And some of the translations, literally, Elijah, when he's taunting them, he's like, where's your God? Why isn't he coming down? They start cutting themselves, which just let that be a sign of evil, right? They just thought mask, uh, whatever, you know, they, they're harming themselves. And so now they're trying to call down their gods. And, and literally, Elijah goes, where is he? Is he on the toilet? Some translations reference their God being in the bathroom and disposed. 
This is why I love God. I mean, God is not afraid to pick a fight. And he raises up Elijah to do it. And so they, they call down, they call down their gods all day long and it doesn't happen because they have no rain and all these people are doing all these rain dances and Elijah's like, how's that going for you? And then Elijah steps up. He says, hey, just for good measure, why don't you douse this joker with water? Like just pour a bunch of water on it because I don't want you to think that I, you know, like on the side lit a match. So they just cover it in water. And then Elijah prays. And when he prays, he says, God, for the sake of your name, for the sake of your glory in Israel, bring down fire. And God does. And then after that, it starts raining. And so Elijah has this incredible victory, incredible victory in chapter 18 of 1 Kings. Then Ahab goes home and tells his wife, the queen. And when he tells her, she says, well, I'm going to kill Elijah off of his head. You know what Elijah does? This is the cat who just beat 400 prophets of a false god. And now this old lady is talking smack about him. Again, this is the Jason translation. <laughs> Commentary, if you will. You know what Elijah does when this old lady starts talking smack? He runs into a cave and starts crying. He just conquered by the power of God, their gods. And now this lady is talking smack and he runs into a cave and then he cries out to God. He's like, I'm the only one left. Here's that second sermon in the sermon I was telling you about earlier. I take great comfort in the fact that Elijah was an emotional wreck. One chapter, he's calling down fire. The next, he's hiding in a cave crying. I take great comfort in that. Because as much as I like to get up here and call down fire, sometimes somebody says one thing about me and I'm at home like, my God! I take great comfort in the fact that Elijah was struggling with anxiety. Struggling with depression. And he just saw God work miraculously. And Paul's using this as an example. You can go back and read this in chapter 19. This is why I love God. You know what God tells Elijah the first thing to do? Hey, get up and eat. Has some bread for him there. Elijah's taking a nap. Hey, get up and eat. I take great comfort in that. That the most spiritual thing that God told him to do was eat. Now, he didn't say gorge yourself, which, you know, I can be too biblical sometimes. <laughs> then he takes a nap again. Then God says, wake up, eat again, for you have a journey ahead of you. So you know what that means? Sometimes you meet physical needs in physical ways. It doesn't mean you just pray more. Sometimes you just need to get up and eat. You need to deal with it. Then God sends him and he goes out to Mount Horeb and Elijah says again, I alone am left. No one is with me. Focus on himself. God doesn't answer his question. You know what the second thing he tells him to do? Go outside. And so he goes outside. And while he's outside, God comes through in a wind. 
he comes through with the thunderstorm. And both times it says Elijah knew God wasn't in that, but he was controlling that. And then all that settles down and God comes through in a small whisper. And Elijah covers his head because he knew that the presence of God was there because that's what happened with Moses. What was God saying to Elijah? You're not alone. The God who controls the weather is with you. The God who just called down the fire the day before is with you. But sometimes that's not even enough. I'm not saying God's not enough. But sometimes we need to know that other people are with us. And then God says the third thing to him. I've got 7,000 men too that are just like you and they haven't bowed the knee to Baal either. So the little sermon within the sermon, when you're wrestling like Elijah, and, and side note, they almost always coincide with great highs, you will have low lows. And we just now know from our, the study we've done on our brain that when your body is running on adrenaline, it can't do that for long because it'll literally burn up your organs. Your body has to put you in a semi-depressed state. So sometimes that's just what's happening. And so the sermon within the sermon is, you might just need to get up and eat something and be healthy. And then you also need to remind yourself that God is with you. And you also need to be reminded of those of God's people who are still with you. Don't look at the ones who are fighting against you. Look at God and his people who are with you. And so Paul uses that as an example to say about Israel. And then he says this in verse five and six. He says, so too at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. So that 7,000 men that God had for Elijah were chosen by grace. What does that mean? It means that they had not worshiped another God because God had shown himself to them. God, by his grace, had mercy on them just like he had on Elijah. And so Paul is telling us that when we look out and we see, just like Elijah, that this world is becoming more and more evil. Again, this is where we have to be so careful and we, have to, we can't talk about like the good old days, like the 50s and the 60s were so awesome. Some of you lived in there, they weren't awesome. So we talk about the world going to hell in a handbasket. We gotta be very careful. Hey, back in Elijah's day, they were killing people. Prophets were cutting themselves, worshiping other gods. They just didn't have Twitter back then, so not the whole world knew about it, right? But we have to be so careful when we look out today and we're like, it's so evil. There's no way that God can be working. Listen, what Paul is saying is even in the worst of circumstances, God is not bound. He can choose anybody by grace and save them. In the worst of your circumstances, God can still work in grace. In the worst of environments, he did it with Paul. He did it with Elijah. So no matter how bad it gets, God is still working. That, again, this is why I love the doctrines of grace. Man, God doesn't need all this good nation, good people. He doesn't need all that. He can work in the worst of circumstances. I was reading an article this week that just blew me away. And the title of the article was, 
the gospel is exploding the fastest in this country. And it was written in such a way that it was shocking that the gospel was exploding there. So I clicked on the article and I was reading it. And the gospel is exploding in this country that all of us, once I say the name, would think that that country is evil because of what the leaders are doing in that country. We want to know where this article was talking about the gospel is exploding right now? In the country of Iran. And all we ever hear about it is all the evil that takes place. And in the midst of that regime, the gospel is rising up from the bottom. Because it's by grace, man. God will work through anybody at any time that he wants to. Again, this is why I love it. I love the doctrine because if it's by grace that we're saved, then God doesn't need me to get right before he saves me. He saves me and then gets me right. And we forget that here in America. Again, we tend to think that we came to Jesus because we made a choice that somebody else didn't make. And if they would just make the choice like we did, then they would be like us. And Paul's saying, no, 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 it's not by works. Even your choice to choose God was given to you as a gift. God doesn't need you. It's all by grace. But this is why most people fail to come to God because they're not willing to admit their need of him. And that's exactly what happened with Israel. Look at the last few verses, seven through 10. He says, what then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear down to this very day. It was Paul writing that in his day and it still applies today. All the way back from Moses to Isaiah and he's about to quote David and look at what he says. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. When I was first laying out this message, I thought, man, what a horrible way to end a sermon on verse nine and 10. That just sounds so negative. Like, where's the hope in that? And then as I was reading through it again and again and again, something just jumped out of me. I was like, no, actually, this is probably the best way to end the sermon. Because he says there, let their table become a snare and a trap. The reason why I think this might be the best way to end the sermon is because America faces the same temptation that Israel faced. See, Israel started thinking that they had somehow deserved all the blessings. And then once God gave them all the blessings, he freed them from Egypt. He took them into the promised land. They had all the wealth that they didn't create. And then they started thinking, this is pretty nice. And, and David says, let their table become a trap. And that just jumped out at me because I'm a preacher and I like alliteration. The greatest temptation for America is our table can become a trap. And what do I mean by table? See, table in the Old Testament and really in the ancient Near East represented prosperity. 
Because if you had a table and you could feed people, you had a lot of food, then you were prosperous. This is why David said, you set up a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You're gonna make me prosper even in their presence. And God had blessed Israel with all of this. And then they started trusting in all of that instead of God. And the reason why I say this is the best way for us to end this is see, we live in a country and don't hear what I'm not saying. I am so grateful for our country. We live in a country where we are founded on religious freedom. I mean, it's amendment one. The separation of church and state. And here's what most people forget today because they apply it backwards. They apply that doctor or that belief of saying, see, the church should not be involved in the state. That is not the point of it. The point is, no, the state should not be involved in the church. So I am so incredibly grateful that we live in a country founded on religious freedom that I will fight for someone else to have the ability to worship freely, even if they worship a different God than me. They have the right to worship freely. But see, here's what's the problem with us. We have the right to worship freely in America, but the blessing has become a curse to us because we're not persecuted when we do it. So we take advantage of our blessing and our table has become our trap. I gotta be honest with you. This is why when Christians start complaining about the world getting worse, I get excited. I, I, in January, I'll be the pastor here for 10 years and I say this all the time and people always look at me, like do that like, they look like my dog when I'm saying stuff. <laughs> what? What? Yeah, I'm excited that it's harder to be a Christian in America today. You wanna know why? Because it's gonna separate the wheat from the chaff. It's gonna separate those who are playing and those who are not. And the reason why I get excited about it as a pastor is because I don't know about you, but I don't wanna play games. And I don't wanna preach and pastor a people who wanna play games. And so you need to understand something. It's going to get harder to be a Christian. But let me ask you a question. Would you still follow Christ if it cost you your job? Would you still follow Christ if it cost you your family? Would you still follow Christ if it cost you your prosperity? See, Israel forgot all that. And so God says, all right, I'm gonna judge you for it. And here's the danger we face right now in 21st century America too. We forget it because we get to worship freely, but the irony is we don't freely worship. We don't take advantage of the blessing that God has given us because we become apathetic. That's the danger we face. And I think this is a great way to end the sermon because I want to speak to you as a father would speak to his kids. Don't fall into that trap. You are not a self-made man because a self-made man doesn't exist. There is no man who made himself. The great irony is you was made by a woman. So you better watch how you treat women. You're not self-made. You don't create the oxygen that you breathe. 
You didn't create your muscles. You didn't create your mind. Nothing about you is self-made. But here's the great irony. We take the creation of God and we use it in a way to reject him. And Paul, it breaks his heart that Israel does that. And it breaks my heart that people today in the church are just apathetic or arrogant about this God who is holding out his hands to you in grace. But we just have to come to the end of ourselves and admit that there is nothing good in us. It's only by grace, amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wrench like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. All we got is grace. And grace is all we need. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you so much for being so patient with us like you are with Israel, holding out your hands to an apathetic and arrogant people. And today, here in 21st century America, we can be some of the most apathetic because it doesn't cost us a lot to worship you. And God, we thank you for the men and women who have given their lives for us to have that freedom. But God, help us to not be apathetic with it. Help us to not let our table become our trap where we take the blessings that you have given us and then we allow them to become a curse. And so God, would you overcome our resistance to you? Would you overcome our heart problem? Would you overcome our apathy and our arrogance to you? We don't wanna be like Israel. So by your grace, God, would you open up the eyes of anybody here today who is blind, who is lost, and it might be the person who's been around you their whole life. Or it might be the person who thought there was no way you could save somebody like them. Either way, would you save them? Nobody looking around or talking here as we close. There's never been a point in time in your life where you have bowed the knee to Jesus. You have admitted and confessed your sin and believed in faith that Christ alone can save you. And I'm gonna give you an opportunity to do that just like we talked about last week in Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, then you'll be saved. So if that's you, if you want to confess and believe, I'm going to give you an opportunity right now to do that. I'll be looking around or talking here as we close, but if you want to trust Christ, you can pray with me, not out loud, and it goes like this. Say, Father, thank you for loving me, that you sent your son, Jesus, to die in my place for my sin. I confess I'm a sinner. Would you have mercy on me? Forgive me. I'm trusting in Christ alone. 
whom I believe is God. And you raised him from the dead. Again, nobody looking around or talking. If you just prayed that with me, would you just simply lift up your hand so we can see that? Thank you. We got men and women gonna walk around, put a gift in your hand. When they do, you can put your hand down. But then those of us who, and I say this every week, you've been around God. And, and you've honestly trusted God. But if you're honest, you've just been pretty apathetic. You just haven't been taking following him seriously. And if that apathy has turned into arrogance towards others, if you have become an expert in pointing out other people's sins, then that could just be a result of your own apathy. Because we need to become experts at pointing out our own sin. And so today, if you have apathy or you're arrogant, listen, I I want you to hear me. I'm not so concerned if you have that. What I'm concerned is, what are you gonna do with it? We all have apathy. We all have anxiety. We all have arrogance. I mean, the greatest women and men in the Bible did. The difference is what they did with it. And so I learned a long time ago, God already knows my sin, so I might as well just be honest with him. And there's been so many times in my life where I have prayed to God, God, I'm so apathetic right now. I don't wanna do what you want me to do, but would you give me the will and the want to? Man, that's an honest prayer. And God will answer that. God, thank you for being so patient with us. And God, I pray that as your word has gone forth in all of our lives, that it would have the powerful effect of helping us to understand that we are saved by sheer grace. There was no good in us, but because you loved us, you sent Christ. And if you sent Christ, then you're going to continue to change us. And so we just have to continue to be honest and humble. And so God, I thank you for a church where it's okay to admit our apathy. It's okay to admit our arrogance because none of us here are Jesus. All of us, myself included, need grace. So I pray that you would give it. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.